So we are in the Easter season officially, and uh, next week is Easter, and uh, this week we are not covering anything to do with Passover, and so I apologize because we're staying in Luke, and, and, uh, but I want us to think about this context of when we talk about Passover, and I want you to have this in mind when you think about Jesus this morning. First and foremost, let's just make it very clear, church and the gathering of church really has nothing to do with a Sunday morning experience. First and foremost, right? Like we come, we come as the church to gather, right, to gather, not together, but to, to gather together for the purpose of, of, of us encouraging one another, experiencing God together for the purpose of being sent out, right? So, so when Jesus is coming in on his donkey, right, and they're laying down palm branches before him, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, right? It's so interesting, and we always, and whenever we see that, usually with, with our kids, right? They're like, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Just coming here on Sunday morning in their Sunday school classes, whatever it may be. Hosanna, pap, pap, Hosanna, right? Whatever it may be. It's what we kind of experience in the context of, of, our, of our Palm Sundays, right? This, this Sunday here. And, but it's interesting to think about that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Right, we come together on a Easter, like this Palm Sunday, looking forward to it's a week later. Right, Easter's coming. Like he knows, he knows. Man, before the next week happens, all hell is literally going to break loose on him and around him. And so, when Jesus then is, you know, this kind of this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, and thinking about where we are, what we're doing, and we think about church, and think about gathering, you know, sometimes I wonder. Literally, we wake up on Sunday morning. Like, what are we thinking? Right? Like, what are we thinking about? Why, why are we going? Is it because we feel guilty? Is it because we sinned last night and we want to make sure we go to the altar and get rid of it so we can just keep on going to heaven? You know, is it because we just hang out with some buddies and friends, you know, and talk about the game, whatever it may be? <clears throat> and I think about that, and I... And it's like nothing wrong with any of those pieces inherently, right? It's good to come and hang out with friends, and it's good to come and want to worship, and it's good to come and want to hear the message. And, but when I think about Jesus coming in and him looking at his people in that moment, there's this, there's this sobriety to Palm Sunday of Jesus looking over at his people and saying, I'm dying for you. I'm dying for you. You're going to crucify me. You're going to crucify me. You're going to crucify me. Thank you for waving the palm branch, but you're going to crucify me, right? And you're going to crucify me too. In fact, all of you are going to do this to me. And so what then drives him? Like, what leads him into this? Like, what, what causes Palm Sunday for him to be a reality when he's coming in to fulfill this dramatic prophecy? Because the Old Testament says, and the, and the Son of Man will come in on a, ride in on a donkey, right? And... And he looks upon the people and, he's, and, and he sees the church. Because that's what we are, right? The people represent the church. The people equal church. Church equals people. does not mean building. It means people. He just never thought institution when he thought church. He thought people together, right? And so Jesus builds the church. And the gates of hell will not destroy it. He builds us. He builds people. He 
grows us. He, he, he develops us. He, he matures us. Do you realize every day of your life, Jesus is thinking about your growth and maturity into his likeness? Like that's why he has you wake up in the morning. So you can be designed and created into his image and his likeness. So what you do and how you look looks like his life. Last week, that's what Scott talked about. He talked about this. If you were, if you were here and if you weren't, I encourage you to listen to the message. Someone told me it's the best message ever invented. Yours is terrible, Steve, compared to his, right? <laughs> no, but this message that was about creating this this image in Luke chapter 6. Remember Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. If anyone's in need, give to them without holding anything back, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He creates this image. He creates this this image for what a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus, what you're supposed to look like in a church, is supposed to look like, not institution. Like when people say, what does church look like? And you start talking about type of lights you have, and you have contemporary or traditional worship. You're not describing church. You're describing a gathering. You're describing an institution. When Jesus says, when they go to church, he wants to know what he thinks about you and me, the people of God, being shaped into his image and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, right? As we do unto others, as we sacrifice ourselves, as we bless those who curse you, bless those who curse us, as we walk the extra mile with the person who's already forced us to walk one. It's an oppressive language. Your oppressor has caused you and forced you to walk one mile. Now walk another in your independence and your freedom of loving them and blessing them. So Jesus, Palm Sunday, is coming in on his donkey. And he's looking at the church and saying, here's an image. I've, I've, in, in the last, several, last three years, I've created an image, an expression of what that looks like. Of what you can do and what you're, who you're supposed to be as my people. So the image then of Luke 6 is this image of saying, here, here it is. Here's the image. Here's what, we're, here's what is our, our, our destination. Here are, here's what our desire is to, to be. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It ultimately, and, what, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning some, is it's a description of a life of freedom in Christ. You are so free from what people think of you. That you can bless your enemies and not get offended. You're so free from having to have stuff because you have me that you can give away everything that you have and smile as you do it and trust that God will provide for you. Luke 6 is a picture of happiness found in Christ, true joy Found in Christ. So no matter what happens around me, he's enough. Have your Bibles turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 17. It says this. Luke chapter 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Jesus says, what's he doing? Paul, Luke's writing. He says, and he, Jesus, came down with them. Just know real quick, them represents the twelve apostles. 
from apostles. Jesus says, we know that he's just called out the Bartholomews and the Judas and, and James, all these guys. He's pulled them out to be these 12, these primary disciples. There was a group like this. He goes, 12, I'm going to have, an, an, I'm going to have a more intense relationship with you. Because I'm calling you to be my apostles, my sent ones, the ones who will go for me to the ends of the earth, right? So he came down with them, the apostles, and stood on a level place with a great cloud of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came near to him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward in heaven is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But, verse 24, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers also did. To the false prophets. So Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. It means to the twelve of his apostles and this large multitude, probably hundreds of people who are following Jesus as his disciples, right? His followers. And in the moment, they are following him. And listen, each of them have aspirations. They have aspirations. They have desires of things they want from Jesus. There's things they're aspiring to in the context of the relationship with Jesus, because that's what Jesus does, isn't it? Jesus meets needs. He fulfills desires. He fulfills aspirations for them and for each of you. In fact, that's why every single one of you ever came to Jesus, because you couldn't save yourself. You had an aspiration of being saved. You couldn't do it. You wanted to be redeemed. You couldn't do it. You needed healing in your life. You could not provide it. Every single one of you came to Jesus with an aspiration and a desire of something that you wanted from him, something you wanted him to do for you. And that's okay. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, because you need rest, and I will give it. Right? That's the idea. We have aspirations. Jesus, listen, Jesus leaves voids in our life so that we will need him, so we will come to him and stop relying on ourselves. We all have aspirations. They define our life. We have desires. We have longings. We have needs. And all of these people had the same aspirations and desires. They wanted healing. So they came, they wanted freedom in their lives because they were oppressed, right? They wanted to be a disciple. They wanted to follow him for the rest of their lives. They wanted to hear his teaching because they had heard his teaching was different than everybody else around them. Some of them, listen, they came because they heard his power was present. They wanted to experience his power. 
And so Jesus looks into, looks into their aspirations. We all have them. We have them, don't we? Listen, growing up, I had aspirations. I had aspirations of being the next Herschel Walker. Listen, I used to have a shirt on that said, hold on, Vince, I'm coming. Vince Dooley, right? And we would go, we'd go outside and play in the side yard, and we'd always be a player, right? And then we'd go, who are you? Oh, I guess Steve's be Herschel again. You better believe it. Best player in the history of the world. Bam, right? I'd go out and just dominate in the spirit of Herschel Walker, right? No, I mean, literally, like I had these aspirations of, of being the next Herschel Walker. But as I grew, like every and you all have those things, right? But as you grew and as we grow, we have other aspirations, don't we? Other desires and needs and longings that honestly define a lot of our prayer times with the Lord, if we're completely honest. We have aspirations as it relates to the socioeconomic level we want to live at. We have aspirations of who we want to marry and what they're going to look like. They better be pretty, right? We have aspirations of, of, of vacation styles and where we're going to travel and what we're going to do with our life and what, how many children we're going to have, and they're all going to be perfect. That's our aspiration. In our mind, we have all these aspirations. We have these desires, and we have these longings, and these disciples, just like us, come with similar aspirations, things they want from Jesus, things they want for God to do in their lives. And so Jesus then looks at their coming, the, the hundreds of people, not just the twelve, but hundreds of his disciples, people who are following him. And he looks at their aspirations it's like he's sitting on that donkey, you're riding in on Palm Sunday. He's looking at them, just knowing their heart. He says, all right, you come with aspirations. You come desiring me to touch you, to do something, to, to move in your life. Well, let me give you a teaching that all of my disciples throughout history will need to know to understand on whom I pour out my blessing. On whom and what's going on, on whom I, I bless and touch and move in their life. Here is something that all my disciples need to know. In fact, I didn't say it's the first service, but some people wrestle. Is Luke 6 the same teaching of Matthew 5, just Luke's version of it? And people struggle because it says in Matthew, it says he went up to a high place to speak. And here it says he came down to a low place to, to speak. And they, can, they get confused. And, and I look and say, well, whether one or the other, but I actually prefer to think that it's two separate teachings. The reason being is simple. I love to think that Jesus felt this message was so profound and needed that everywhere he went, he just pulled it out and preached it. Because if they're going to be his disciples, they needed to know what his expectations were of them. They needed to know the, how they should define their aspirations, how their desires, for what they wanted from him, how they needed to, how they needed to be viewing that, how they needed to, the lens by which they needed to look through to have a healthy understanding of receiving blessing and having from Jesus and having their aspirations met. So we look at it, he says, blessed are the hungry, right? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who weep. And blessed are those who are hated. If you're going to be my follower, then you have to be all these things. 
So first, foremost, blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, it simply speaks to God's favor resting on an individual. You can go a lot deeper with that word, but for our, our sake this morning, just think about it. It's God's favor resting on an individual. God's favor moving. God's favor answering. God's favor moving in the life of an individual, right? So it's saying, whoever, listen, whoever my favor is going to rest on in life, Blessed are these people. Who are they? The poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the hated. So the biblical poor, the biblical poor are those who cannot provide for themselves, but instead live in a complete state of dependence on the kindness of others. They have no means at all by which to provide for themselves. Let me just go and paint a picture for you. The poor, like the homeless living in the streets of Atlanta, are not poor. By biblical standards, why? Well, they have the ability to find a meal every night. They go to a soup kitchen. That's not biblical poor. The poor are those who have no means by anything in their own power to get and to find food, to find resources. Biblical poor have absolutely nothing. Biblical hungry here are those whose life who, have a, who live a lifestyle of lacking food to the point that starvation is a legitimate reality. It's not just those, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry, I have not eaten since breakfast. Look at the brunch. I know, right? It's not that. It's not that type of hunger. Those aren't the hungry. The hungry are those who literally have no sustenance. They literally live a lifestyle of lacking food to the point of starvation. Weeping. All of us know, listen, this is like the negative weeping, weeping not like, my, I just won the lottery, oh my gosh, I'm weeping. No, I'm talking like the tragedy has struck. You were overwhelmed in life. Everything that can go wrong is going wrong, and now it's a forced weep. Why are you weeping? It's just so hard, weeping, right? The fourth is the hated. It goes on as hated, excluded, reviled, spurned. All those words, right? Word pictures on account of the Son of Man. People hate you because you make yourself to Jesus, therefore they hate you. They hate Jesus, therefore they hate you. And so he's saying, blessed are the poor who have no means of sustenance, no way to get anything, hungry, have no ability to get any kind of food, those whose lives are marked by tragedy, oppression, difficulty, and those who are, I'm just going to read all of them, hated, this is an excluded, important word in our generation, excluded, forgotten, right? Reviled and spurned on account of the Son of Man. And so Jesus looks at his disciples in the moment and says, you, you have aspirations and desires of being blessed, then you must be, you, this, is, this is who I bless. The poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the hated. And they're all going, anybody else? Anybody else? Because someone was sitting there who was very wealthy. Someone was coming and had lots of resources. Someone had eaten breakfast that morning. That probably all of them had. Even the 12, 12 apostles are going, we had breakfast this morning. What are you talking about? Oh, no. All right. What are we doing here? What's going on? What's happening here? Jesus is speaking in the moment. What does he do? He's giving them a new lens. 
He's creating an image saying, you aspire and desire for an outpouring of, my, of, of, of me into your life. You're looking for breakthrough. You're crying out for these things. You're looking for healing. You're looking to be my disciple. You're looking to follow me. Well, I pour myself out upon these people. And then we should, we should get uncomfortable in the moment. And the re- reality is this, none of us in this room are off the hook. Because the top 1% of the world are anyone who has a roof over their head, food in the, on their table, and at least one vehicle. If you have two vehicles, you're like in the point zero one highest percent of the world's, the world's wealthiest. So we go, man. I guess I'm in this, right? I'm part of the wealthy. What do we do with this this morning? So Jesus in the morning is saying, if you're going to come and seek blessing, have aspirations, you want me to move in your life, just have a wake-up moment of true discipleship. And what it really means to follow me, because blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, right? Jesus wants to give life. He wants to pour himself out. But what is he saying? What is the lens he's creating for us? What is he looking for? What is he looking for from us? Do you think maybe he said this to make everyone go, I am none of those? Do you think that Jesus sometimes uses the art of, I don't want to say exaggeration, but he, he says something as a big picture to make like that, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? Right? He's saying something here bigger than their understanding, bigger than their understanding, bigger than their knowledge, that they need to really get their, need to wrestle with, to get their head around. So this morning, I would say the same is true for each of us. At this point, you should be asking the question, well, can the wealthy ever be blessed? Can those who don't have food, well, can they actually ever receive blessing from God? What's he saying here? Because it's pretty direct. What do I do with this? This makes me a little uncomfortable, Steve. Please don't say amen. Let's pray. Right? What's the lens? What's the lens? Here we go. First lens is this. Anyone can be blessed. What do you mean, Steve? What do you mean by that? Well, it's simply this. Dallas Willard says, Everyone is capable of being blessed, not because of his or her present condition, but because it is possible for them to enter into his kingdom. And so what we find here is none of these people would have ever have thought that the people Jesus is naming are, are, are blessed in life. He would never think that the, the poor, never think that the hungry, he would never think that those who are weeping and those who are hated are actually blessed in life. He's coming and he's saying, let me tell you my boundary of blessing. I can pour out my blessing on any single person that I want to who comes into my kingdom. Listen, that means there is no one unblessable. Therefore, he says, you bless those who curse you a few verses later. You do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because there is no one in your life that you should not be willing to bless, to move in, to be an answer to, and to be Jesus for. You don't get to set boundaries on who is lovable and who is not. You are called, listen, I'm saying, these people are blessed. Anyone's capable of being, of being blessed, therefore you must spend your life being a blessing specifically to those that, who are mean to you, 
who hate you, who revile you, and who spurn you. And all of them are in the moment going, that requires a lot more energy from me with the EGRs, the extra grace required people, the difficult people, the ones who were mean to me. I can't just write them off. Jesus is saying, no, anyone can be blessed. Well, see, what's he talking about then with the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the hated? Blessing belongs to them. Is Jesus, is he being saying, it's, it's the literal, it's the literal poor hungry, like, that they're literally physically poor and, and weeping, and is it those people, or is he just meaning it, please, is it, is it just the spiritual lingo, right? It was those who were spiritually poor, right? So I can be really wealthy in flesh, but I'm going to be spiritually poor, right? Is that what he's really talking about? Is it, is it just the spiritual lingo? And I would say this morning, I believe it's both. I was a mixture of the two of them, and I'm going to take this from a guy named Ron Sider. Ron Sider wrote a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. If you have been a Christian for more than 10 years and never read that book, write it down. You need to read it. It is, it is this beautiful, beautiful book written about God's heart for the poor. You recognize there are tens of thousands of verses that talk about God's heart for the poor, and it's a few hundred about prayer. He talked about the things that are most important to him. Listen, I talk about my wife and children a lot more than I talk about you because they're more important to me. And vice versa, right? Jesus talks with the poor. He has a special place in his heart for the poor. He defends the poor. He fights for the poor. Rich Christians in Age of Hunger. Go read that book. Ron Sider, S-I-D-E-R. You should all be writing it down right now. Ron, you can borrow mine. i got two copies. It's that important to me. So Ron Sider has this great picture of this scripture. He says, in Palestine, when, when, the, when the Romans came into power, so they came in with, with their, what they call their Hellenistic culture. Whether you remember it or not, you all studied Hellenistic culture back in the day in one of your schools. Roman culture comes in, this is what they do. Rather, Roman, they were so smart. Rather than come in and make you shift to worship their stuff and shift to their culture, they would come in and say, no, 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 keep your culture. That's fine. You can worship your gods. That's fine, too. We just ask that you worship ours also. Look how generous we're being in letting you worship your god. Won't you come in and kindness worship our god also? And so in they would come and they would, and people would begin to shift. That's what happened with Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, right? He was a, a Jew who had looked at all the bells and the whistles and the shiny things about this Hellenistic culture, and he shifted. He became defined by their culture around him. But in that day and age, prior to Jesus, there was also a group called the pious poor, a.k.a. the religious poor. And the pious poor were the ones who had said, we see you, we see your, we see your culture, but we raise Yahweh. All right? It's a poker analogy there. Right? I don't know how you can do that in the church, but I just did it, right? I see your health and culture, and I raise you Yahweh. Right? They say, no, we're going to stay true to our God. We're going to stay true to Yahweh. We're not going to worship. We're not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down to your culture. We're not going to bow down to your shiny things. They say, well, if you do that, then, then we are taking away everything that you have. You will be losing your job. That's the idea. Their faithfulness, 
Their faithfulness literally, literally kept them, brought them to, to, to suffering financial ruin. Their faithfulness to Yahweh, their faithfulness to their one true God, the God of the, God of the Jews, caused them to suffer terribly in the culture in which they lived, and they were oppressed and suppressed. And so in the moment when Jesus is speaking about the about the, the poor, right? The hungry, the weeping, and the hated. He's talking about the poor. They have in mind the pious poor. The religious poor. And so what you have in this then, you say, well, Steve, is it, is it physical and practical, like literal in nature? Or is it spiritual when he's talking about that? Jesus meant both. He literally was talking about a spiritual, a spiritual, a spiritual place in this, of, of saying God is, God is the only one who can save me, right? That, that God is the only one who can meet my, 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 my hunger. That, that God is the only one who can meet me in my weeping. That, that God is the only one who can accept me. But at the same time, he's saying, this is important. He's saying, but at the same time, it's the pious poor. Which means that if you're going to be my disciple then you have to expect to literally suffer as they have suffered and be willing with everything inside of you to suffer poverty for the sake of Jesus. You have to literally be willing to go hungry and give to those who actually have need for the sake of Jesus. Because that's what a disciple is. If you may a follower, that's what I mean. You literally have to be looking for ways to give away and do this stuff, right? You have to literally be willing to have your life marked by tragedy and weep. You have to literally be willing to push back against culture and be hated. It's both spiritual and literal. But he's looking at the, as he's looking at this crowd who've come with aspirations, because in their mind, all they're thinking is, what can I get from him? How many of you treat, if we're honest, don't raise your hand, but you can internally, treat Jesus like that. Your primary conversations with him are about what you want for your children, what you want for you, what you want for your life, what you want for whatever it may be. It's only one-sided. And Jesus is saying, when you come, it's about me being enough even if you never get any of these things. And then blessing those who curse you. Loving your neighbor. Giving your life away. So the woes. <clears throat> What's he talking about the woes? He, says, he goes on in, in, in verse 24 and he says this. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you, and often will speak well of you, so, for so their fathers did also to the false prophets. Or is there anything inherently wrong about laughing? No, <laughs> right? Is there anything inherently wrong with wealth? No, I mean, we know Joseph of Arimathea, who, who provided the tomb for, for Jesus, was a wealthy man. There's nothing inherently wrong with these things. Is there anything inherently wrong with having their stomachs full? Well, no, because Jesus literally sat there at the Lord's Supper. They had seven courses of a meal right there on the spot. The night before he, the night before he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, right? Like there's, there's food. They're eating meals. They're catching fish and eating meals. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing inherently evil or wrong in and of themselves with these things. 
But with the lens that Jesus is giving us, in the lens of our aspirations and desires, Jesus is saying that these things are not to define our primary pursuit and our primary value in life. He's saying, he says, Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving a comfort and full. He's referring to those who were living, hear this, as if this world is all that there is. As if their desires and aspirations for money, for power, for influence, for popularity are the most important and define even their prayers before the Lord. If you're going to come to me with aspirations and desires and longings, it can't be in the context of the way of the world. The things the world runs after, the things the world aspires to, I mean, have, like this is what Jesus meant with the rich young ruler, isn't it? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Listen, he was a good guy. He was one of those wealthy church guys who, gave, who, who did all the right things. He said, you've you got to fulfill the commands. He goes, I've done that since I was a baby. Bam! In. One thing you lack. Uh-oh. Go take all that you have. Sell it. And give it to the poor. Rich young ruler didn't think about it. He didn't go pray about it. He walked away sad because he could not do it. Walked away sad because he was a wealthy man. Rich young ruler. I want Jesus. I will have aspirations of Jesus and aspirations of Jesus, desires of Jesus and. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who come saying, I don't really care about money. I don't care about my hunger. I don't care about tragedies. I don't care about being hated. Those are not the defining characteristics of my life. The thing that produces happiness in the midst of if these things even define my life is that I have Jesus. You see, when I read, when I read some of these you know, theologians who are much smarter than me, they talked about said, in reality, the most simple way to, de- to define this Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' description of happiness. Jesus' description of how to be happy. And like, I'm reading that going, that just can't be right. Jesus is saying, for you to be happy, then poverty and hunger and weeping and hatred of yourself... They are, they are so unimportant to you because all that matters is that you get Jesus. That's why you can walk the extra mile with your oppressor because you know you're walking with your oppressive oppressor with Jesus. And as long as he's with you, nothing else matters. That you can give the last morsel of your food to the one who's hungry. Because you have Jesus, and he can provide for you. And if everybody in the world hates you because you're the lone follower of Jesus, you don't care because the multitude of the heavenly host with Jesus are with you. See, when Jesus is looking at this in our flesh, we go, but that is so hard. That is so hard. See, that is so hard. 
And part of it, in all honesty, it's hard because we've been affected by our culture, if we're completely honest. Listen, and this is real practical, Christians should be the least frustrated people in the world. Christians should be the, the most, or the, the, the least frustrated, the least have the least tension the least, with, with stuff of the world. They're the ones who should get angry. It takes a long time for Christians to get angry because they don't get what they want. They don't get what they've been looking for. They, they don't get what they've been working for. Because they go, well, I already, I already have everything. See, that's the message of happiness. He's saying, my true disciples are the ones that find their happiness solely in me. Like the pious poor. If you're going to follow me, that's what I'm expecting. That's what I'm looking for. Those who say, Jesus, everything just went to hell in a handbasket at work. And I don't think I have a job tomorrow. And that's hard. Jesus ever said, don't feel the hardness and the difficulty of it. <laughs> he doesn't say be oblivious. He's saying, even in the midst of the hardship, you have me and you have happiness. You see, this is why I have tension with the prosperity gospels, why I have struggle with the happiness message of some of our television theologians. Because they preach messages that say it's about being happy. It's about having much. Because God blesses those that he loves. And Jesus is saying, no, I bless those who walk in poverty as a chosen lifestyle. That no matter what, come hell or high water, my happiness is not found in my desires and aspirations of stuff being met, but in Jesus alone. Because look at what it says. This is what it says, guys. The scripture going back, once you read the scripture again with me, just follow along. It says this, verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor. For the kingdom of God already now in its fullness belongs to you. You got stuck on poor. Blessed. Blessed are you. Let me find, let me find my place. Right? 21. Blessed are you who are hungry. Oh my gosh, I'm going hungry. I want something to eat. Oh my gosh. For you shall be, by God's power, satisfied. Blessed are you when you weep because of tragedy, because in Christ He will fill you with holy laughter. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they put you outside of the popular crowd and exclude you, when they revile you and speak against you, when they spurn your name as evil... On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. This, Luke chapter 6, Matthew 5, is a message of happiness, of God meeting his people and blessing them. But we get stuck up on the woes which speaks to where our hearts maybe find themselves many of the times. 
And what God is speaking to his disciples is he's riding in on the donkey. And he's looking at their desires and their aspirations. He's, he's looking over them here in Luke 6 or before he, he preaches all these pieces. He's looking at them and saying, I see your heart and I know it. And I desire to bless you. But your eyes have to be focused on me and find satisfaction in me. This is the image. This is what I'm looking for. Why do I get so frustrated today with stuff? Because only Jesus matters. God, I repent. I turn away today from trying to find happiness and stuff because my frustration is an exhibition that I'm looking for my joy and my satisfaction in those things. God, only you satisfy. Only you satisfy. And I find joy in you. We fight against our culture so that we can be the pious poor, the pious hungry, the pious weepers, the pious hated. Whether it comes physically or just happens theoretically, spiritually, Jesus, I'm committed to both. Because my joy, my happiness, my satisfaction, my fulfillment, it comes from you. Therefore, when I weep, I will wait for the fullness. Listen, listen. When I weep, I wait with anticipation for the fullness of the glory of God's love to descend upon me in a way that no other love ever could. That I, God, I'm poor, but Your kingdom and everything in it belongs to me, and I worship. And I suffer for a moment so I can celebrate for eternity. The other, pers- the other language of this is just a biblical perspective. Some theologians talk about that for a long time. Having the perspective of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning. That as you came in riding on the donkey, you were setting your self up. You were fulfilling the prophecy. You were coming in, God, to to come and meet face to face with the sin of the world to save us. And so, Father, I pray this morning, God, as we sit in this moment, Lord, of our aspirations, make us aware of them. Right now, God, I pray across the room, we become aware, what are my aspirations that I'm longing for Jesus to meet? What are my desires that only Jesus can fill? What are the needs that I have of him that I'm wanting him to do for me? What are the blessings that I'm aspiring to? What, how, in what way do I want him to touch my life? And God, I pray that in this moment that you would reveal the blessing that you bring. That you meet us in our place, God. We come and we would challenge us. Whether we're at a great place or saying, yes, no matter what the world brings, I have Jesus, that's enough. Or it's like, you know what? I probably am more like the rich young ruler. Forgive me. Whatever that place we're in, God, I pray you would speak into our hearts and give us vision, give us wisdom, give us sight into that. Because, God, you came to bless us. You came to fill us. You came to meet us. And, Father, we don't want to get in the way of that. You pour out grace on the humble. You literally live in opposition of the proud. 
And so, Father, we're asking for grace this morning to awaken us, to challenge us, to shape us. I pray Jesus for each person right now who's trying to defend themselves about their thoughts and their aspirations. I pray, God, they would just quiet their, you just quiet them out of your power. Quiet them from defending themselves against possible sin in their life. Possible brokenness. Possible unhealthy aspirations. And I pray this morning you do a new work in their life, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.